This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. In this podcast, we're going to continue our series on nutritional supplements. We've discussed supplements for enhancing strength and endurance, as well as those which promote increased thermogenesis and weight loss. So how do we, as healthcare providers, know if these supplements' claims are factual? Is the research that's being done on these products valid? And who's regulating these supplements? And most importantly, how do consumers know which brands to trust? We'll tackle these questions with our guest, Dr. Andrew Jacob, Director of Sports Medicine Research at the Mayo Clinic. Andrew, welcome back. Happy to be here. Well, I know we've talked about this already, but this is an important topic. So why don't you maybe restate the importance of the basic building blocks of good nutrition and exercise in relation to the benefits one might receive from the addition of some of these nutritional supplements? So a common theme that we've discussed throughout this series is, again, you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck uh, when we look at kind of the foundations of performance and health. So making sure that people are are consuming enough energy, enough of the right nutrients, uh, following a proper exercise and training program, getting enough sleep and recovery. Those are always going to offer much more kind of powerful changes or adaptations than any dietary supplement can offer. So whether the goal is optimal performance, uh, weight loss, or just improved overall fitness, we really have to kind of look at those foundations of performance first and making sure everyone's doing the right things there uh, before we can maybe look to any dietary supplement that could maybe offer some kind of slight advantages beyond what they may be getting from proper food and exercise. Well, you live in the world of nutritional supplements. What research is out there? Is there, is there much and is it, is it good research? So there's certainly a growing kind of body evidence within this dietary supplement area of research. I would say it's still relatively new. Um, even only the last 20 to 30 years has there been kind of a focused interest on some of these dietary supplements. So in a sense, the industry or that area of research is kind of playing catch up to the dietary supplement industry as a whole. And especially because there's so many new products and new ingredients that seem to be coming out on the market every, every year, it's, it's really, again, trying to play catch up. So there's not enough to kind of match what's out there in terms of the dietary supplement world, but it, it is getting better. And this work is being done on a daily basis. And, and I think in terms of the quality of this area of work, it's kind of like any type of area of research, it kind of operates on a, a spectrum, there's some that are much more higher quality studies, uh, maybe following kind of the highest rigors of, of study design and like an, a randomized clinical trial type design. And then sometimes we have more lower quality or the lower ends of the spectrum in terms of how powerful that evidence is, where it might just be an observational study or an, an open label type of study design where it may help kind of start the conversation, provide some pilot data or preliminary evidence, then uh, again, hopefully can be used as part of a, a more appropriate study design or a larger study in the future or a longer term trial, whatever the, the need is there. So any, anytime we're looking at research, it really is important to kind of look at the, the study design, uh, eliminating any potential risk for bias making sure there's an adequate sample size, and then making sure obviously the results are interpreted appropriately. So again, there's no potential issue for any bias or 
misinterpretation of this type of, of work. And sometimes the media plays a big role in that as well, where they're maybe extrapolating some of the findings from a study or again, misinterpreting the results. And, and so sometimes I would say maybe that happens a little bit more when we are talking about dietary supplements and kind of exaggerating some of the, the potential or the claims there. Well, I know for prescription pharmaceutical agents, very often the uh, manufacturers or the pharmaceutical companies uh, develop the research because they are hoping to achieve FDA approval for their drug, but these are different. So are the manufacturers initiating this research or is it more pure scientists that are interested in looking at these uh, products? I'd say it's a mixture of both. I bet it's probably close to a 50-50 split, split where some of them are investigator-initiated trials where they have um, kind of a focused interest in whether or not that particular ingredient or supplement may offer some health benefits or performance benefits. And then we do see some industry, industry excuse me, sponsored trials where they're um, contacting key scientists or research organizations to kind of help facilitate some of that work where they want to be able to have that data um, for future marketing claims where they can refer back to, you know, clinical evidence in support of a particular ingredient or product. And, and that's obviously kind of what the consumer uh, should be looking for is companies that, that go through that extra effort to, to fund studies to support the safety and efficacy of their product. That would kind of be the ideal standard that we would hope every company would abide by. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. They don't necessarily have to have that safety and efficacy data before they go to market. Um, and they can, not to say they, they can make any claim that they want, but they can oftentimes include a lot of structure function claims or other claims on their, on their certain product when it may or may not have been studied in kind of a, a laboratory type setting. Mm -hmm. So who is regulating this industry um, or is there any regulation? Can manufacturers make whatever claims they want or uh, what's, what's happening regarding regulation? So within the United States, we, we have two government agencies that kind of oversee the regulation of dietary supplements. So more of the, the safety and e efficacy side of it, I would say is handled by the Food and Drug Administration. So the FDA, they're kind of the primary organization that will oversee the dietary supplement industry. When it comes to marketing claims and things of that nature, that's handled by the Federal Trade Commission. So they're technically the ones that will regulate and oversee any advertisements and news media print and making sure that they're not making any falsified claims about that supplement product or ingredient. So by law, they're not allowed to make any kind of claims that that supplement can treat or cure any kind of health condition or disease. So oftentimes you'll see that right on the label that discloses that this product is a dietary supplement and it is not intended you know, to treat or cure any disease that, that usually is on the label itself. Um, but anytime we run into any post-market safety issues or concerns, that's where the FDA is going to step in and oftentimes start an investigation on a particular product or company to, to dive into what is resulting in those health concerns or risks or adverse events, you know, whatever the, the concern may be, they're the organization that's going to oversee that. It seems like a lot of marketing for these products are with personal testimonials. Uh, where you get somebody on TV saying, boy, my memory's never been better since taking this supplement. 
Um, and I guess they're not really claiming the drug does it. And then at the end, as you said, these drugs are not meant to uh, manage any medical condition. So, uh, but it's very convincing by seeing some of these testimonials. I think patients will believe that over some of the best research that uh, may exist. Yep, absolutely. And then supplement companies are even allowed to list structure function claims on their, their product as well. So something like calcium, you know, can help promote strong bones and or promote optimal bone health. You know, that's kind of a, a structure function claim. They're not directly saying take this and it'll increase your bone mass. They're just kind of throwing out the general structure function of that particular ingredient. So again, the, the consumer may take that as is factual in nature mm -hmm. when they read those structure function claims. So just because it's on the label doesn't necessarily, you're going to be able to get that exact benefit if you take that on a regular basis. So some of that's just kind of clever marketing. They're not necessarily breaking the law or like you said, with testimonials, that's obviously, you know, allowed and it can be very powerful and convincing. Um, but the consumer should just know that they may be a paid consultant or, you know, obviously paid to do that testimonial. And so just kind of take it with a grain of salt as you're listening to some of those claims or firsthand experiences. So how do consumers make intelligent choices about these products? Um, is there any way for them to judge uh, the effects of these things? Is there any resource that they can go to? How do they know? So the FDA itself is a great resource. They have a lot of helpful information on their websites about some of these issues of, you know, maybe which companies or which products to avoid or which ones have been investigated in the past, which ones have received cease and desist letters where they've had to stop manufacturing a certain product. So that's absolutely a good place to start and making sure that whatever you're considering taking isn't um, you know, a band or a product that's been advised to be pulled from the market. Um, and even kind of doing a little bit more homework sometimes, making sure that that company or product hasn't been in the news for any legal battles or adverse events that have, again, made headlines. Um, and not that that's a, a definitive proof of safety, but just, again, making sure that that company doesn't have a, a poor history of inappropriate supplement manufacturing practices. And then looking beyond that, some, some things that you can look at on just the label itself that will kind of give you an indication of whether that company has, again, taken some extra steps to demonstrate that their products are likely to be more safe and effective. So if they have kind of an open label or a transparent label where they list, obviously, all the ingredients, uh, list the actual dosing amount of the ingredients is very important. Sometimes companies will will combine multiple ingredients into what they'll call a proprietary blend or, or matrix energy matrix is sometimes found on the labels where they may list the ingredients in there, but you have no idea the amount uh, or dose of some of those individual ingredients. So an open label or a more transparent label is another good indication that they're just open and upfront with the ingredient, the dose that's included in that serving size. Um, if they have any kind of logo or symbol on that supplement label, that's indication that they've subscribed to some third party testing where they've outsourced their product or that particular batch to another organization that then reviews it and tests it for purity, quality of the product, making sure that what's on the label is actually what's in the product, making sure there's no banned contaminants or other kinds of heavy metals and things that, that shouldn't be in that particular supplement. So that's another kind of level of assurance that the consumer should look for 
again, just knowing that that company likely goes through some extra steps and it, it costs money to do these things. So they're willing to spend that money to help again, kind of support or reassure the, the consumer that what they're taking is, is safe to be consumed. And then certainly if they've invested in research, so if there is scientific evidence out there to support uh, the safety and efficacy of that product, that's again, something that uh, as a consumer would be helpful information to know that it's either worth their money to be investing in that kind of supplement to get some return on that investment. And certainly um, indicating that it's likely safe for them to, to consume. So any one of those or all of those are some key strategies that consumers and, and patients can look to to make sure they can put a little bit more faith in that product. Do you think you can use cost as a basic uh, guideline? Because I've seen the same substances being sold in you know reputable pharmacies, uh, or I've seen them you know for a dollar a bottle. Uh, same brand, uh, same stuff, different brands. So one is significantly more expensive than the other. Is that somewhat reliable? I would say only it's probably reliable on the low end of that spectrum. So if you can get a hundred pounds of a supplement for five bucks, uh, you should <laughs> run for the hills knowing that it's obviously not a quality product. Um, but I, beyond that, I really wouldn't say you can put much faith or, or trust. And just because it costs X amount of dollars, it means it's a higher quality or a safer product to be consumed. Cost is going to be dictated by so many other different factors. What store is selling it? If it's an online retailer, uh, there's regional differences in costs that you're going to encounter. So that's not likely to you know, mean much or confer anything regarding the, the safety or quality of that particular product. Okay. So what would you like to see happening in the future regarding nutritional supplements, uh, more research, more regulation? What, what do you think would be beneficial? Both of those that you just listed, I think would be great changes. I think the FDA itself seems to be a little bit under-resourced and underfunded. So if we could kind of bolster up their resources, there could likely be more oversight and regulation uh, within that dietary supplement industry and just some more um, kind of layers of protection, I guess, for the consumer to weed out the, the poor or lower quality companies that are just out there to make money and not necessarily um, have any kind of, you know, safety for the consumer in mind. And then certainly more, more research in this area. So there are certain populations that are very under-researched. Um, if we kind of stick within the, the sport performance world, there's a definite lack of data in female athletes. So there's definitely more work or uh, more research that's needed there. And then getting into that long-term question mark of are these products safe to be consuming for months and years? And so looking at some more long-term surveillance types of studies to, to look at the long-term effects of consuming these products. Because a, a lot of studies are limited by, by budgets or logistics in terms of how long um, they can execute those for, but most of them are only eight and 12 weeks in duration. So we don't have a lot that have gone beyond that time period. Uh, so that's another area that that I would like to see expanded upon. And, and then I, I'm a big advocate for just kind of informing the consumer. So going through a lot of these kind of um, strategies that we've discussed and making sure the consumer, the parent, the physician, whoever is involved in this decision-making process just kind of puts all the cards out on the table and discusses the risk versus the 
reward? Um, is it worth it from a cost standpoint? What are what other kinds of things are you doing in your life and your training program that might also need to be addressed? So just making sure everyone is fully aware of some do's and don'ts when it comes to supplements, because otherwise you may be putting yourself at risk or you may be just wasting a lot of money that could be better spent on better groceries or higher quality food products. And you're again, getting likely a lot more out of that kind of investment than some of the, the supplements that people can spend a lot of money on each month that may not be getting them the results that they're looking for, may not be safe, or just may not, again, be a worthwhile investment. So educating the consumer and everyone else that's a part of that decision-making team, I, I think is something that we have a lot of work to do yet. Okay. Well, let's uh, conclude by having you summarize by giving maybe two or three key points regarding nutri nutritional supplements. I would recommend that people do their homework um, before they decide to take a supplement. Don't just listen to a commercial or a sales rep in a store. Uh, again, make sure you look into the company itself. Make sure you look into the ingredient. Does it make sense with what the the supplement manufacturer may be claiming. Um, is there a need for you to be taking that? Can you get that nutrient or ingredient through whole food or other kind of dietary strategies? So that's usually where I'll, I'll recommend people look first. And then second of all, making sure that if you do decide to take a supplement, making sure it's one that's a higher quality product, making sure that company follows good manufacturing practices, uh, perhaps subscribes to one of the third party um, testing organizations that's out there to again, provide a, another level of insurance, assurance, excuse me, to the consumer to making sure that what's in that product is what's on the label. Um, there's no other adulterants or, or contaminants that are in there. Uh, especially for athletes who may be in a drug tested sport or organization, you certainly wouldn't want to accidentally take something that's going to get you a banned drug test and, and kicked out of something like the Olympics or collegiate sports or whatever they're participating in. So it's very important for those individuals to be choosing products and ingredients that are um, not containing any of those banned ingredients. All right. Well, we've been discussing regulations, quality of research, and validity of benefits claimed by the manufacturers of nutritional supplements with Dr. Andrew Jagum, Director of Sports Medicine Research at the Mayo Clinic. Andrew, thank you once again for sharing your expertise with us. Thank you for having me. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please follow us. Stay healthy and see you next week. Music